Well, I knew it would happen. Uh, I knew it would happen. It's just like back when Karen and I used to speak for Family Life's weekend to remember marriage conferences, the week before the upcoming conference, Karen and I would get into some stupid argument that would cause us to feel like, man, how are we going to go speak about marriage at a marriage conference like when, when we don't even have everything together in our home? Or it's like any time I've ever preached on spiritual warfare and preparing for those messages, literally all hell would break loose. And it seemed like there were more fiery darts coming from the evil one aimed at discouraging me and taking me down. And here we are. We're doing a, a, a new series entitled The Words We Use, started last week in the book of James, looking at the power of our words and the inherent danger of our words and what happens all week long. I've struggled with saying things that I should never have let come out of my mouth. Uh, and I, Now, I, I'm just going to open my heart up here and be vulnerable and transparent. I know most of you never have this particular problem, this struggle. It's pretty much my struggle, but the most careless, caustic words that ever come out of my mouth are said in traffic. Um, it's like I'm sitting in the left-hand turn lane at a four-way intersection behind about 11, 11 cars, and first of all, how is it that I can be sitting and waiting for the light to change for four minutes, and then the green light comes on, and it stays on for four seconds? And I'm like, I'm grumbling, I'm complaining, I'm calling SCDOT about this. This is crazy. I, I, we got to have more than four seconds to get through this stinking light. And then, but it's, oh, it's worse than that. I mean, I'm 11 cars back. The four-second green light comes on. The first car in line just sits there. I mean, it just says, I'm going crazy. I'm hitting my steering wheel, and I'm saying, go, 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 what are you doing? And, and, and the car just sits there. It just sits there. And, and the guy finally looks up from texting on his phone, and he realizes he's got one second to shoot through the light, so he guns it at the last second, and no one but him gets through the traffic light. And I'm like, ah! I'm sitting there, uh, and, 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 and and that, and other uh, traffic-related tear-your-hair-out trials seemed to buffet me all week long. It seemed like this week, after preaching on what I did last week, this week was worse than ever. You know why? Because I'm preaching on the words we use, and so the enemy wants to discourage me and take me down. Somebody said, after the last service, they said, uh, these messages on, on, on our words, they're, they're really good, but they're hard to listen to. And I said, if you think they're hard to listen to, think about how hard it is to preach them. <laughs> now, this week was different because, uh, because every time uh, that happened, it was like in my mind's eye, I saw the warning sign from, from last week. You remember the warning sign? Yeah, warning, words in use. Tongue on fire here, you know, and so, I, and, and then at, at, at one time, I actually had this picture show up in my mind's eye because this is what I wanted to do to the driver in that car in the front of me. And so, so you see, the bad thing about this past week was it seemed like there was, the, there was increased temptation to verbally blast other drivers from the privacy of my own vehicle, but the good thing about this past week was I became much more aware 
of my words. Now, there's a saying that I heard years and years ago that makes all this make sense, and that is, uh, this is a principle that you can apply to anything, but it's called, it, the principle is whatever you focus on expands. Whatever you focus on expands. Like the more you focus on your health, the more you will be thinking about your food and exercise and how much water you drink. The more you focus on a certain kind of car, like maybe you're thinking about buying a Jeep Wrangler soft top, you know, which is a great choice, by the way. But you, 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 when you start to think about buying a Jeep or you buy a Jeep and then everywhere you go, you see Jeeps everywhere. Or the more you focus on your favorite college team, the more invested you are in that team emotionally and, and the more emotional you become if they lose. And if you focus on positive things, you see positive things. If you focus on negative things, you see negative things. Whatever you focus on expands. And, and wherever you put your focus is your choice. It's your choice. So if you choose to pay more attention to what comes out of your mouth, you'll begin to take your words more seriously. Now, last week I said, you know, I'm not an expert in taming the tongue, and that's why I wanted to do this Word We Use series, because I really need to hear what I'm going to be preaching on. So, uh, by purposely choosing to focus on what God says about my words, uh, to intentionally put, pay more attention to what He says about what I say, that will cause me, and hopefully it will cause us, to be more sensitive to this much-needed to the much-needed help of the Holy Spirit in this all-important area of spiritual growth and maturity, and hence this series. That's why we're doing this series. Now, there are a couple other things that we're going to do to help you focus and cause this area to expand. Um, there's a great book that I want to recommend for summer reading, and that's this book. It's called Taming the Tongue by James, uh, Jeff Robinson, and uh, the subtitle is How the Gospel Transforms Our Talk. It's a really great book. It would be a good companion to to our series this summer. And uh, I want you to notice, guys, it is a thin book. It's very thin, so it is something that you can uh, get through. And if you, uh, there are great uh, discussion questions at the end of each chapter in case your community group or small group, uh, our group of friends might want to go through it together and then talk about it. So that's another thing that we're going to do to help us focus. There's another, one more thing uh, to help us focus on our words. Uh, Paul Tripp has said the book of Proverbs is fundamentally a treatise on talk. Now, remember the memory verse I gave you last week? What book in the Bible did it come from? Proverbs. Okay, you did better. Two of you did better than the whole congregation last hour. They had no idea what I was even talking about. But uh, Proverbs 18:21 was yet last week's memory verse, which is death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And so the words we use, we're told here, are either moving in a life-giving direction or a life-crushing direction, and our words have a trajectory. If our words are moving in a life-giving direction, they'll be words of, of hope and encouragement and peace and comfort and unity and wisdom and, and even warning and correction. But if our words are moving in a death direction, they'll be words uh, full of anger and malice and slander and self-righteousness, and envy, and jealousy, and gossip, and division, and racism, and violence, and negativity, contempt, condemnation, meaning there are no neutral words. There are no neutral words. You have never spoken a neutral word in your life. And, the Pro and Proverbs 
uh, drives home that point by talking about talking more than any other book in the Bible. There are over 30 verses found in Proverbs uh, uh, about our words. Now, the very cool thing is, talk about God's timing, the cool thing is through the month of June, it just so happens that we will be reading through the book of Proverbs in our CBR uh, Bible reading plan. And so if you're already following along in the CBR plan, I want to encourage you that every time you come to a verse that talks about our speech, our talk, um, circle that, highlight that verse, and maybe even write them down. Take a, get a little notebook and write down all the passages that have to do with the tongue. And uh, if you're not reading along with us, I, let me encourage you to, uh, to pick up one of these uh, community Bible reading cards um, it has uh, every day and what the reading is, basically a chapter a day. It's not that hard, but I want to, and these are available at the tables in the back, the Next Step table in the Commons, and the Welcome Center in the Commons. And so uh, I want to encourage you to pick up uh, this, this uh, Bible reading card and read through the book of Proverbs with us. And so, so, you see, whatever you focus on expands. And our goal this summer with this series and with our summer book reading, and with the CBR plan, and with the memory verse we will be giving you, is to help you take what you say and how you say it more seriously, because as we saw last week, God certainly takes what we say seriously. Now, last week, we listened to what James the Apostle had to say about our tongues, and James tells us in really strong words that the tongue is a fire, it is a restless evil, it is full of deadly poison, a world of unrighteousness, and he says that what we say and how we say it can set the entire course of our lives. And what we say to other people can set the entire direction of their lives. It's a serious business. And he says, if anyone can tame the tongue, that person's a spiritually mature uh, person, individual. But he also says that no one will ever be able to completely tame the tongue. He's trying to wake us up and get our attention. So last week, we saw just how seriously God takes our words. Now, earlier I mentioned that, that uh, Karen and I used to speak for family life marriage conferences, and on the first night of the conference, on Friday night, there were two introductory sessions, and they were called Threats One and Threats Two. Threats One, Threats Two. The idea was that before we begin to unpack um, God's plan and purpose for marriage, we first need to clearly understand what we're up against. We first need to take seriously the things that are going on in our personal lives and in our culture that can torpedo a marriage. And that's kind of what I'm doing in this series. My goal in these first two introductory messages on the words we used is to see what God's word says about our words so we take our words more seriously. Last week we heard from James the little brother of Jesus, and this week we're gonna hear from Jesus himself. And what Jesus says about our words is even more shocking than what James said. So here's the question we're gonna be answering, Mike. Why is it pretty much impossible to tame the tongue? What makes having a conversation with, with uh, your spouse or with one of your kids or with a good friend or with someone I disagree with biblically or politically, what makes it so difficult to have a, a, a life-giving conversation? And, and let me just make this personal to me. You know, what's going on with me in traffic 
that makes it so hard for me to control what I say? Well, Jesus tells us right here, take your Bible, paper or digital, and find your way to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. By the way, this is your first time um, with us. Uh, welcome. We are so glad you've uh, decided to join with us today. And uh, it, one, one of the things you'll find if you attend here uh, on a regular basis is that normally on Sunday morning we're teaching, preaching through entire books of the Bible, and we just finished up uh, over a year-long series in the book of John in this fall. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, but typically during the summer we'll do more of a topical series, and so this summer we're doing this uh, topical series on the words we use, and, and we're looking at the words that we use with God, the words we use with each other, and the words we use on mission. And specifically, we are looking at how God's word shapes our words or should shape our words. So, so Matthew chapter 12, let me give you the context and the background here. Jesus is in a hot debate with the Jewish religious leaders who've rejected him and his message. In fact, they're saying that the things that Jesus says and does come from the devil. And Jesus, uh, which Jesus calls the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. These religious leaders are saying that we're the ones that define and teach what is truly good. They say our teaching is from God, but your teaching is from uh, Satan. And Jesus says, verse 34, you brood of vipers. <laughs> it is like, wow, so much for meek and mild Jesus. I mean, those are some strong words, aren't they? Now, remember uh, from last week how James said the tongue is full of deadly poison. Well, what's a viper full of? Deadly poison. So Jesus isn't calling them names as much as he's calling them out for the poison they spread through their teaching and what they're saying about him. Verse 34, he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? Here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. So if we take these words seriously, how does, how should God's word, these words of Jesus, how should God's word shape our words? That's the question. In other words, what is Jesus doing with what he's saying about what comes out our mouth? What does he want us to do with what he says here? Okay, so let's start by seeing what he says. Number one, Jesus says, our words reveal the condition of our heart. Our words reveal the condition of our heart. Let's say it backwards. The condition of our heart is revealed through our words, through the words we use. Now, Jesus says, out of the abundance of our heart, and the Greek word for abundance actually also means, literally means overflow. In other words, the words we speak bubble up out of the overflow of our hearts like pouring too much coffee into your Yeti cup and it runs out the top. What, what's in the cup bubbles and runs over the top. So when it comes to our words, there's a bigger issue than our words. The bigger issue is our hearts. So Jesus is saying what controls the heart will direct the life. What controls the heart will control our words, and our words direct our lives. Our words make visible or audible what's invisible and hidden, and that is what's going on in our hearts. Bottom line is, whatever is in your heart will come out your mouth. 
Whatever is in your heart will come out your mouth. Whatever is in your heart toward another person, anger, envy, a a desire for uh, acceptance will shape the words you speak to that person. It is impossible for us to keep what we think, feel, and desire from affecting our words because it comes from the heart, and that's why it's almost impossible to tame the tongue. So this past week, as I started studying this passage right here, and I was meditating on it, I was thinking about it, I was reflecting on it, I was focusing on it, this time after I had my private in-jeep road rage moment with the traffic, the first thought that popped into my, ha- my head was, what's going on in my heart that's causing me to say these things? What's going on in my heart? I think, that, I think the Holy Spirit prompted that question, and the question prompted me to start talking to God about it. God, what's, where's all this anger coming from? Why is my heart angry? And I began to pray about that, and, be, and, and I'm like, Lord, heal this angry heart of mine. Help me see what's driving that anger, pun intended. So, you see, as I become more aware of the words I say, the more I understand the true condition of my heart. The point is, any progress in taming the tongue only comes by dealing with what's going on in your heart. The only progress we'll ever see when it comes to taming the tongue only comes when we are willing to deal with the heart of our words. And until you invite God's grace to change your heart, To change you from the inside out, your words will not change because because you will not willpower your way to better tongue control because whatever rules your heart shapes your words. And unless you get to the heart of your words, you'll be stuck in self-deception. Now, in the book, Taming of the Tongue, uh, Jeff Robinson has a a great illustration that drives home this point. He says when he was growing up, his family had an apple tree in the backyard that year after year produced really shiny, red, delicious fruit. But one year, all of a sudden, uh, there were some good good fruit on the tree, but there were a lot of brown, mushy apples. And then the next year, only a few rotten, shriveled apples came forth. And so what was the problem? Well, they They dug into it, and they discovered that the tree's roots were dying, and bad roots produced bad fruit. And Jeff says, and this is kind of ridiculous to even suggest, but Jeff says, we couldn't just go uh, to the grocery store and buy a few dozen red delicious apples and then nail them to the limbs of the tree and think that that would make the tree healthy again. I mean, that's crazy. That wouldn't help the tree produce good, healthy fruit because the roots were the problem. The roots were rotten. And rotten roots produce rotten fruits. And he says, in the same way, our hearts won't be healthy until our, our, heart, uh, our words won't be healthy until our hearts are healthy. Now, author and counselor speaker Paul Tripp, he puts it this way, because Paul talked about this whole apple tree thing too. He says, I'm convinced that much of what we do in an attempt to change how we communicate with one another is nothing more or less than apple nailing. It has no energy to understand and confess the war for the heart that lies beneath the war of our words. Tripp says, people aren't my problem, situations aren't my problem, circumstances aren't my problem, locations aren't my problem. 
He says, my problem is in my heart. And it's only when you and I stand before our Redeemer and we're humbly willing to say, regardless of the flawed people that you live with and regardless of the fallen world that we live in, only when we're willing to say, Lord, I'm the problem. I am my greatest communication problem. Only when you admit to that, he says, will you begin to head in a direction of fun fundamental biblical change in your world of talk. Now, that's what Jesus wants us to see in Matthew chapter 12. Our words reveal what's going on in our hearts. And this is something, by the way, that Jesus talked about over and over and over again. For example, he talks about it again in, in chapter 15 of Matthew. Now, in this, the context here is he's in another hot debate with the religious leaders. This time, they're accusing him and his disciples of eating food without ritually washing their hands, which they say defile a person. So in verse 10, Jesus called the people to himself and said, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Verse 17, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Verse 18, but here it is, whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are the things that defile a person. And all of those things, in one way or another, get expressed through our words. But, but that's not all. I mean, he, Jesus talks about this again in chapter six of, of Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus repeated the Sermon on the Mount at another time in another place, what some refer to as the Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure, uh, out of his evil treasure produces evil. So here it is again. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Same thing, there it is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let's make this our memory verse, our second memory verse. Um, this is from the CFB version. It's my own paraphrase, and it's very easy to remember. Memory verse number two from Matthew 12, 36. The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. It's just that simple. The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. So say that with me. Matthew 12, 36. The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. One more time. The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. Mark it down. Jesus was deadly serious about the words we use because what comes out of our mouth was already in our heart before they ever passed our lips. Now keep that in mind as we go back to Matthew chapter 12. You ready for this? I mean, look at the really shocking thing that Jesus says next. 1236, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. And in this context, I think the word for condemned would be better translated judged. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you'll be judged. Okay, so first of all, Jesus says, our words reveal the true condition of our heart. Now he says... Now Jesus says, number two, one day we will give an account to God for the careless words we speak. One day we will give an account to God.
for our careless words. On Judgment Day, the final day when we stand before God, we will give an account of every careless word we speak. And I'm like, geez, man, this is, like, if that's true, I'm gonna be in real trouble. So careless words, what are careless words? Well, careless words would, of course, include sinful words like angry words and belittling words and contentious words and lying and deceitful words, just all those kinds of words. But careless also means idle words, empty, worthless words, mindless, thoughtless words, rash, reckless words, all cuss words, and all words said in traffic. (laughs) Too convicting, let's move on. Um, One reason that I think that we don't think that our words are all that important is because most of our words are just said in the everyday mundane moments of our lives. We just don't think those words are that important. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. Your words are very, very important. I mean, I don't think anybody in here would be willing to have a voice recorder hung around their neck recording everything you say the next week, and then we bring the voice recorder in and we play it on Sunday in, in this auditorium for everybody to hear. Any, any volunteers for the voice recorder experiment? No, I didn't think so. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm, I don't want to do that. I mean, but you see, maybe that's why our everyday words are profoundly important, because we wouldn't want them played in here, but God doesn't have to, to record them in order to hear them, right? Now think about it, if I average 20,000 words a day, and if Solomon is right that the more you talk, the more likely you are to sin, Proverbs 10, 19, then if I live to celebrate my 80th birthday, then I will have spoken over 600 million words with that many opportunities to sin. Yeah, I'm gonna be in a heap of trouble. Now, here's the shocker. Listen to it in verse 37 one more time. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be judged. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been here a while, that should raise some questions in your mind. Like, wait a minute. I thought we were justified by faith and not by works. I thought we were justified by faith and not by words. I thought since we were saved by faith, we were exempt from judgment. I mean, like, didn't Jesus say something like, if you believe in me, you will not come under judgment, but you pass from death and life? So if Jesus said that, so what gives? Well, it depends on what you mean by judged. For example, on the one hand, Romans 8.1 says, and this is one of my all-time favorite verses, there is... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So there is, uh, that's one kind of judgment, a judgment for sin, a condemning kind of judgment to determine those who have trusted Christ and those who have never trusted Christ. Now, the good news is if you're a true follower of Jesus, you have trusted Christ as your Savior You will never stand in that judgment. I think Revelation calls it the great white throne of judgment. You'll never stand in that judgment and you'll never be judged for your sins. You and I have many sins. And if we were to be judged on our sins, we would have no hope. But Paul says the good news is that Jesus was judged for our sins. Jesus is the judge who was judged. And that's why he's the only one who has the right to judge. 
Jesus is the one who took our condemnation, and because he took our condemnation, we will not be condemned for our sins. And I've preached for 25 years here about the great good news uh, of that, that the glorious gospel over and over again. We've studied through Romans and Galatians, and so rest easy. Paul says Christians will never be judged for their sins. They will never be condemned for their sins. But Paul, same guy, talks about another kind of judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. He says there, if anyone builds on the foundation of faith in Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. This is a judgment not for sin, a judgment for reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what's he talking about? Not a judgment for sin, but a judgment for reward. Says it right there in verse 14. I don't have time to go into the whole, whole exposition on uh, this judgment for reward, but, but we just need to get this down. One, and here's one more time. There is, there's a judgment for sin for all who have not trusted Christ for salvation. Jesus said to the religious leaders in John 8, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. So if you're a Christian, you'll never be judged for your sins because you built the foundation of your life on faith in Christ. You're justified by faith. But Paul also tells us we'll be judged for our works. Or better, we will give an account for what we did with the life that God gave us. So how we build our lives on the foundation laid by faith in Christ, that will be evaluated. Look at verse 13. The fire, God's judgment, will test the quality of each person's work. And for some, the quality of their life will look like solid fireproof things like gold, silver, and precious stones. But for others, they will have built their life, who built their life on Christ, um, their life, though, looks more like wood, hay, and straw. God's judgment, symbolized by fire, will reveal the quality of your Christian life, the Christian life that you have, have lived. But one more time, I want to keep saying this over and over to, to, to preclude all the emails. As a Christian, you will not be judged or condemned for your sins, but you will be evaluated based on what you did with what God gave you. You'll be held accountable for your works and your words. That's why, remember last week, James 3.1 says teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. Same thing. As a teacher, I will be held to a stricter judgment because of what God has entrusted to me, which doesn't mean it's harder for me to get into heaven than you. No, but as a Bible teacher, God will evaluate me to, as to whether or not my words were faithful to the gospel or were my words nothing much more than just wood, hay, and straw. You see it. As a Christian, you're secure. And Paul says, even those whose lives will be shown to be not much more than just wood, hay, and straw, even those believers will be saved, yet so as by fire. You're secure in Christ, but you'll give an account of your 
of how you lived your life. Whether the trajectory of your words and works traveled in a life direction or a death direction over the course of your life. Does that make sense? If not, Jim is ready to answer your questions. Uh, if not, the, if it sounds a little contradictory to you, it's because you're not thinking about parenting. They <laughs> say, what? Uh, either you have been parents, or you are a parent, or you've been parented to some degree, and here's what I know as a parent. When my kids were growing up, their place in the home was never in doubt. It was it was secure. They were secure. As a parent, I was never trying to decide whether or not they could be my children or whether or not I would still love them tomorrow. I never thought about any of that. On the other hand, I did evaluate what they did and particularly what they did with what I gave them and what they had. Now, one of the things that used to really irritate my son, who was almost four years older than his Young, my youngest daughter, is that when they got into a fight, and they got into some kind of spat or argument, and they started calling each other names or something like that, and I would discipline each child differently. And uh, I would take my older son aside, and i say, what are you doing? Your little sister is like four years younger than you, and you're arguing with her like you are her age. And he would push back and say, but dad, she did this and this, and, and she said this and this and that. And, and I, said, I said, yeah, I get that, but you're older. You're more guilty. And he'd be like, what do you mean I'm more guilty? She started it. I'd say, look, you're 16 and she's 12. You're older. You've had more experience. You're more mature. You've had four more years of correction from your mom and me. You know more than she knows, so you should know better. You follow me, I held him to a stricter judgment because he was older and he knew more than his younger sister. Well, that's just simple parenting, right? I mean, not, not that hard to understand. So let me say it this way. Christians will not be judged for their sins. However, we will be evaluated and held accountable for what we do with what, has given, what God has given us. We will be evaluated and held accountable for what we do with what God has given us, which includes what we do with the words God has given us that he intends for us to breathe life into people. Now, Jesus, like James, uses strong language here because he's very serious about the words that come out of our mouth. Why is he deadly serious about this? Because the words that come out of our mouth come out of our hearts. Jeff uh, Robinson writes in his book, Jesus takes our words seriously because bitter words flow from a bitter heart. Discontented words flow from a discontented heart. Critical words flow from a critical heart. Flattering words flow from a deceitful heart. And lying words flow from a dishonest heart. Condemning words flow from a heart where the love of Jesus seems to not even have taken up residence. Whatever rules your heart rules your words. And for that reason, we'll give an account for the lifetime trajectory of our words. M mark it down, words, word problems are heart problems. You and I always speak out of what's already in our hearts before the words ever pass our lips. 
That's why Jesus takes this so seriously, and that's why he uses such strong language to wake us up and motivate us to think more about this. Now, years ago, Karen went through a discipleship course called Sonship, and really, it was the beginning of a journey for both of us, a journey in learning how the gospel isn't just a way into a relationship with Christ, but it is the way that we live out our relationship with Christ. And it was about this time that I became acquainted with Tim Keller, who was actually discipled by Jack Miller, who put the whole Sonship curriculum together. So Sonship and Jack Miller really had a profound impact and influence on Tim Keller. Now, the Sonship course has a thesis, and the thesis is this, that even though you and I say that we're Christians, and even though you and I say we believe in Jesus, the fact is, functionally, we don't really, we really don't live out what we say we believe. Now, the good news is that the judgment day verdict of God has already come in for us. In other words, we have already heard the verdict of the final day, which is not guilty by reason of faith in Christ. God says, I punished Jesus in your place, and you're my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And God says, I have clothed you in Jesus' very own righteousness. Now, most Christians say that they believe that, but we don't function that way. We live like it's up to us to stitch together a righteousness of our own. You say, well, what does that look like? Glad you ask. It looks like this. We spend a lot of time defending ourselves, justifying what we say and what we do, tearing people down and building ourselves up. And it's, it's, it's like we're defending ourselves or prosecuting people all the time. And long ago, I remember Tim Keller talking about sonship and about a specific assignment in the sonship curriculum that fits with what we're talking about here. And the assignment was called the tongue assignment. Sonship says you don't realize that you don't operate out of the gospel until you start watching your tongue. You don't realize that you're not living out of the gospel till you start paying attention to your words. And I had to do some digging, but I finally found online what this tongue assignment is all about. Um, and this is a paragraph from the second session in the sonship material, and it sets up why the tongue assignment is so important. Uh, they write, our tongues show us how spiritually proud and self-righteous we are. For example, my critical tongue often reveals a heart that is sadly out of touch with how much I have received grace, love, and forgiveness. And I know this because it's not loving things that are overflowing through my tongue, but instead a spirit of being better and knowing better than others. I'm right and they're wrong and I need to point that out so everyone is clear about it. I complain because I know I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Likewise, my Instinctive defensiveness and inability to apologize sincerely and quickly demonstrates that I'm not really trusting in Christ to be my reputation and righteousness. I must uphold my good record of performance before others. I need people to know that I'm better than they think, when in fact I can safely say that I'm actually worse than they think. These and other failures prove how easily I slip away 
from living out of the gospel. In other words, my words reveal whether I have a gospel-shaped heart or a me-shaped heart. So here's the tongue assignment. For the next week, try to live by these five spiritual laws of the tongue. Here it is. Do, number one, law number one, do not gossip. Don't say negative things about anyone. Don't confess their sins. Don't mention your frustrations or irritations about anyone. Anyone. Rather, speak well of others. There's a negative and a positive side to these. Number two, don't complain about anything, but give thanks in all things. Don't, number three, don't blame, shift, or make excuses at all for anything, but, do, but own your, your mistakes and confess your sins. Number four, do not defend yourself, but acknowledge where a critique is accurate. Number five, do not boast about anything in yourself, but boast in your weakness and in, and in your need. And they say, now, for the next week, give it a try. <laughs> now, I'm still looking for a volunteer for the voice recorder assignment, so, and we'll just tack that on here with the tongue assignment. Listen, I, I, I don't think any of us will do very well with this assignment. So, like, you're like, so what's the point? Well, the point of the assignment is until you come to grips with how hard it is to tame your tongue, you won't realize what's really going on in your heart. Until you realize just how hard this task is to tame your tongue, you're not gonna understand what's going on in your heart. And that means you don't know who you really are in Christ. Your tongue, the words you use, reveal who you really are. My words reveal who I really am. I mean, you think I'm better than I really am. <laughs> Karen can tell you, not true. <laughs> so until you take what you say more seriously, you won't know what's going on in your heart. If you don't know what's going on in your heart, you don't know who you really are. And if we're not aware of the condition of our hearts, then we end up living self-deceived lives. So for one week, don't gossip or repeat negative information about anyone. Don't complain or grumble. Don't make excuses or blame shift. Don't defend yourself. Don't boast about anything. Instead, speak well of others. Give thanks in all things. Own your mistakes and confess your sins. Accept the critique with grace and boast in your weakness and need. It's not easy. It's really hard. Like, I think I made it maybe 30 minutes before I had to go, wait, I've already broken law number two. Now, the point is, as you and I come to grips with just how hard it is, we come to grips with our hearts. And that will drive you to the one who can heal your heart and, and, and heal your words. The important thing about this is, like this is kind of a mission impossible thing, like if this, your mission, your assignment, if you choose to accept it, the important thing is God doesn't love you any more or any less based on how well you do with the tongue assignment. We all fail, and the great good news of the gospel is that God's grace covers all of our sins, greater than all of our failures, so we don't have to, we're not in any kind of danger that way, but Jesus uses these strong words to wake us up and motivate us to take what 
we say as seriously as God. And he uses these strong words about our words because he wants us to see that our words are the window to seeing what's going on in our hearts. Now, the real simple thing, it's simple, but even this is difficult, is give God first place in your heart. Give God first place in your heart. When God's first place, when he's on the throne of your heart, he's, your heart will change, and when you, as your heart changes, your words change. So it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of that simple. When God rules your heart, your heart changes, and as your heart changes, your words will change as well. So, so let's see. What was, I, 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 I should remember, the, oh yeah, so our memory verse is, the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. Matthew 12, 36. The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. Think about that this week. Father God, thank you so much that uh, a long, long, long time ago, your Holy Spirit penned these words because for us, as we walk in a relationship with you, we need those words today more than ever. All too often, we think our words don't matter. We don't take what we say very seriously because it's only words. But thank you for, the, for, for what James tells us about our tongue. Thank you for what Jesus says about careless words. And, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prompt us this week, um, whether we're in traffic or at the grocery store or in a conversation or an argument or whatever, prompt us with the question, are you listening to what you're saying? Where is, where are the, where is that anger coming from? Where is that, what, bitterness, unforgiveness, where is it coming from? And then, Holy Spirit, do a deep work in our hearts that we would be faithful followers of Jesus in every part of life, especially when it comes to the things that we say. In Jesus' name, amen.